Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Just wanted to take a brief moment to give you guys a little idea how we do it here at Paddle and Fin Podcast. We use the Anchor.fm recording platform. Super easy, distributes our podcast to many, many different platforms. There's creation tools to allow you to record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. Check out anchor.fm or download the free Anchor app to get started. Did you know you could help support the podcast by going to patreon.com forward slash paddle, the letter N, and fin. You could also do so by going to anchor.fm forward slash paddle, the letter N, and fin. This segment is brought to you by Jigmaster Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com, use promo code PNF20 and save 20% off your jig order. Welcome to the Paddle and Fin Podcast, the Bass Fishing for Noobs segment, where we try to improve our skills as an angler by learning new techniques or improving the ones we already know. I'm your host, Ryan Milton. Welcome to Bass Fishing for Noobs on the Paddle and Fin Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Milford. And today we have the host of the Kayak Angler Podcast, co-host of Hooked on Wild Waters Podcast, Ken Morse. Welcome to the podcast, Ken. Thanks, Ryan. It's uh, cool to be here. Thanks for inviting me on the show. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah, I invited Ken on here. I just wanted to get some of his uh, fall bass fishing techniques and you know some stuff he likes do he likes and stuff i've been doing a lot of river fishing here lately i know a few listeners even other guys here on paddle and fin that like to fish rivers a lot i feel like we can get pretty good knowledge out of ken here yeah uh, i do like so, rivers a lot so it's uh what, what's the let's just start like one of your it's one of the what sorry it was really garbled yeah, I think you broke up for a second. I don't think I heard what you were starting to say. Uh, what was the question again? Oh, I, I was just going to say, uh, you know, what? just to start it off, like what's one of your favorite bass fishing techniques for the fall? Um, well, I'm going to have to preface that with my favorite time for the fall is like early fall, I think. Um, a little bit of the summer transition into fall. Because my favorite technique is for river fishing has got to be top water, anything top water, because the smallmouth just hit lures so hard when they hit. And I've had a lot of success with um, top water fishing late summer, early fall. So like when they're transitioning a little bit from that, um, from those dog 
you know, those very, very hot days into those slightly cooler days before it really drops off, at least here in Ohio and some of the waters in the, the north. Um, that top water bite just really turns on hard for smallmouth. And there's just, it, it's almost indescribable. So it's like a cannonball that hits that water sometimes, how hard they hit. So, I mean, it's really kind of anything that's a disturbance. Um, buzz bait, whopper plopper, walking bait. I've hit them on all of it. So it, it's really, once you find that topwater bite during that time, it, uh, it it's really on. And then I guess transitioning into what you would call a more traditional fall bite, um, at least in my region, is uh, a moving bait. Like a, like I had a lot of success this past a couple weeks ago with a um, the new Z-Man diesel minnow um, spinner baits, uh, weight like uh, hard body swim baits, stuff like that um, seem to turn on really well when they start when the water tip really drops and they kind of leave the top water bite alone and move into like a moving bait, a reaction bait because they're putting on that fall feed a little bit. So they're still eating big minnows and stuff like that. It's just that they're keeping it a little bit more subsurface, almost like a wake bait to a swim bait versus being all the way on top, if that makes any sense. In my experience, anyway. That lag out. Yeah. Yeah, lag out <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I don't know what's what's up with the connection. I don't know. If yeah, it, 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 uh, it's it's me. We I was talking about this with the other guys from Paddle and Finn right before we did this. I've got really good connection in the house, but I can't yeah. do the podcast in the house because I'd have so much background noise. So I yeah. come out to the shed, and where I do have like two hundred and something uh, download speed in inside out here, I got like ten. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but, it, the delay kind of doesn't help a little bit. But yeah, so basically a quick review of what I said was like when you're transitioning from summer into fall, I really like a topwater bite. But when it transitions to more of a fall bite, like um, the water temps start to drop and they start to ignore the topwater, it goes more into like a wake bait a reaction swimming bait bite. So like swim baits, spinner baits, um, stuff like that, like more of a a reaction than a topwater, if that makes sense, like a sub-level reaction bite. Not quite finesse at that point yet. Um, they're still eating pretty heavy. Um, I think the big key, though, to figuring out a fall bite is really understanding your region, where you're at. Because fall is such a bland term, it really is dependent on the, your environment. Because, like, obviously winter in Cleveland, Ohio – is much, much different than winter in anywhere in Florida. So, and anywhere in between. So I think the temperatures of the water, how they change their patterns due to the temperatures of the water in the air and how much oxygen are in the streams and that sort of stuff, I think all of that plays a huge part into what happens to the bite. And you have to adjust that to your region. Like, for example, like I was saying, late summer, early fall, that kind of starts in like September for us up here. And at least in Ohio, in like my opinion, like the bite, like what I would do midsummer changes in like September. And then closer to October is when it's going to transition into more of the swim bait approach to me than anywhere else. Whereas like basically my fall bite in October could be somebody's winter bite in Georgia or Florida or one of the Carolinas or something like that. It's all just, you know, because they, they cycle the fish cycle differently depending on their environment. So it's really, it's hard to have a blank statement of what a good fall bite is unless you're talking about a specific region or area, in my opinion, if that makes sense to you. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I went out yesterday and you know, I was thinking, you know, we should be in the fall bite. You know, I'm in middle Tennessee, and uh, the high was, I think when I got on the water, the air temperature was, like, low 30s or something like that, maybe mm -hmm. mid-30s, and the high for yesterday was, like, 50-something, and I'm not sure of the water temp. I don't have a 
a depth finder that'll that tells me water temp on it unfortunately but man i got skunked yesterday and that's the first time i've been skunked in a while and like i was going out there thinking like okay we should be in the fall bite i'm about to yeah. catch me some fish so i was really disappointed with that so yeah the the, the winter like the fall wintery sort of can definitely put some merit on you it can definitely re- remind you of what a skunk is like because it's uh it can be really touchy once you find them you can find them but if you're having a hard time finding them it's you know it can definitely be a real challenge because it's just not you just don't get the little fish bite if you're going to catch a fish right now it's probably going to be a decent fish just because of the amount of energy that they want to use to go after food because their metabolism slowing down because it's, you know, it's colder, the water's colder and stuff like that. Um, I don't know it, to be completely honest, like fall into winter fishing is like, well, it's not so much fall, but like late fall winter into spring fishing is probably my least favorite time. I know you can catch some really big fish during that time. I just, it really tests my patience and I haven't put enough time into it to like, really feel comfortable doing it um it's just one of those uh, it's like a you know that's the time for me where like i kind of like uh hibernate from fishing for a bit i'll go out for steelhead every once in a while since they're up here but it's it's definitely a tougher situation for me whereas a lot of people really really like to get going right now in some of those southern states that are a little bit warmer that keep that that water going you know, so I think in middle Tennessee for you, it's, it's probably closer to my end where things are really starting to slow down, but, um, it doesn't mean they're not there and they can't bite. You may have just been not quite at the right place at the right time sort of thing. Um, with the waters cooling down like that, I would go towards deeper pools and maybe ones that are bumped up right after riffles and not necessarily in the riffles. Like if there's, if there's a a ledge or something that has moving water where it's circulating oxygen into those pools that are right after it, I would probably, I would, my first attempt, and this could be way off, but my first attempt would be to like slow roll, like a swim bait or something to crawl across the bottom very, very slowly, not like burn it, like kind of bump the bottom and, and creep along to see how it goes to try to find them sitting down because they're still going to eat off of that conveyor belt that's running that current down, but they don't want to use as much energy or they don't have as much expendable energy because they're trying to save it up because it's cooler weather. So I would still run that current seam off of like the riffles, but into a deeper hole because the deeper hole you're going to find, they're going to stack up on each other and kind of wolf pack at least smallmouth will. Um, I don't know if you have, what do you have smallmouth where you're fishing, Ryan? Is that what you're going after for the most part? Uh, for the most part with me, it's large mouth. Um, okay. I, I know we got small mouth around here. I've only found one ever so far, but yeah, a lot of people talk about small mouth that they've caught. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I get, I guess I target more large mouth gotcha. areas by default. <laughs> gotcha. And, and that's just a different you know, that's a different perspective too, because if depending on what type of fish you're going for, type of bass you're going for can completely change your, your approach. Now, if I were going for largemouth at this time, and this is a little bit more based on, um, like a lake or a pond or something like that, uh, more flat water. But I think the principle still stays the same is the largemouth are going, they're going to be less aggressive than the smallmouth. So this is really the time where you pick up like a jig or, a like a texas rig or something like that but you're not flipping into reaction bites you're working at much slower and more precise spots that um that you're not even going to feel the bite like they're going to pick it up and then it's going to seem heavy and you're you're going to miss a lot of fish because you don't even know that the fish was on there like they're really cold and they really slow down the large mouth do big time like it, it the difference between a, a cold water largemouth bite and a cold water smallmouth bite is just insane because the smallmouth will stay a little bit more active, how I, in my opinion, whereas like the largemouth are just going to be like a little soft thump and just like you, you don't even know you have them on almost, if that makes sense. So would you say you'd need like a really sensitive uh, or like a 
yeah, I guess you'd say a really sensitive rod for that? I, I don't, not necessarily. I mean, it just, it really depends on your setup completely because a sensitive rod is going to definitely give you a little bit more of a feel, but it also depends on the line that you're using. Like, cause if you're using braid, you're going to feel anything anyway, depending on how you're holding the reel or what you're using. But a lot of guys don't like to use braid because it depends on how pressured their areas are. It could be line shy. I think Drew's talked about it in our podcast on, or in the podcast hooked on wild waters. You know, him and I have discussed his, you know, all braid sort of, uh, approach and I'm very similar to that whereas I don't find as much lie shyness in the, my style of fishing and where I fish but you know that sensitivity in the rod is going to be more needed for a heavier mono or fluorocarbon because it doesn't run those vibrations up as quickly as the that braided line is so it, it's really going to you know unfortunately there isn't one answer to that it's it's how you set your combo up and how you're fishing. You know, are you do are you using the monofilament with a more sensitive rod, or are you just power? You still like power fishing with braid and just yanking them out of there. It, and it's just I don't know. Like I'm still developing this fall and like winter fishing stuff myself, so it's hard to give like a I guess a knowledgeable answer on that. As much as it is, is like you guys are kind of getting an open door of how I'm thinking about it figuring out this past couple of years of getting into fishing further into the season where the water gets colder. That makes sense. Okay. But, uh, to kind of go off that, the setup that I'm using for jigs right now, it's mm-hmm. a set seven foot medium heavy rod. I'm running straight, uh, fluoro 20 pound fluoro on it right now. Mm-hmm. I do plan on, I, I haven't done it yet because I plan on changing out some reels Nick, uh, in the spring. And so I didn't want to waste the line mm-hmm. now, but I, I do plan on doing like braid to a fluoro leader. To a leader, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, it, I, I just, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no. It, it's hard to say because like I, I'm still experimenting with a lot of stuff too. I know I've been fishing out of the kayaks now for like four years or so. And it still feels like I'm brand new. I'm not going to act like I'm the crazy expert or anything, but I've, I went through that stage of where I was tying leaders to my braid and it helped it, it, it helped in that transition of when I was learning of what a bite felt like. And I felt like it was not creating the line shy when I wasn't exactly making them bite like I do sort of now I feel like I make them bite now. Like when I tie a flipping, like a, like a Texas rig style with a tungsten weight on top, when I'm pitching those into lily pads and reeds and stuff like that, and more of a summer or actually almost all year long, um, I'm like putting it in front of their face and I'm making them make a decision, either eat it or don't. And I'm going to move on because I'm fishing very fast, flip it in there, bang, bang, bite no bite move on to the next spot sort of thing um whereas when before when i was tying those leaders and stuff on i would be throwing stuff like cinco's and i did have some like jigs and some different like texas rig stuff but i felt like it was it, i i felt like it was more approachable to the fish because of the clear clear lines and stuff like that but my problem was was my connections my my leader connection knots weren't great. One, it kept, I didn't, I wasn't able to tie them very small because I didn't practice very much. And I just waited to the last minute and rigged everything up and the knots would catch in my eyelets and, um, they would, they would, uh, slow down it like how I would cast and they would catch in my eyelets and they would just cause me problems. And then really they, would, if I were to break one off when I set the hook, it was always at that connection point. And it was never consistent. I couldn't figure out what was going on. So I finally got to the point where I just started tying straight braid. And I didn't really lose that much success on it at that point because I had figured the technique out, I guess. And, um, but like, I, I see a point to the leaders. I really do. I still tie leaders like that for my finesse rods. Like I'll, I'll do braid on, um, like a, uh, Ned rig or something like that. And then I'll do a floral leader for those. Um, but when it comes to like the, like the big 
baits, I guess I throw like the flipping or the top water stuff like that. Like I kind of cut the leaders out of the equation for myself, but I, but the leaders can work. It is, it's definitely something not to ignore. Um, for sure. And it saves you a bit of money too in the long run. Cause if you're tying leaders to your braid and you're trying to be economical, you can use that braid forever and just re- keep retying leaders to the front yeah, of it. That- that's one of the reasons why I'm wanting to do it is to kind of save money like that. Cause you know, I, I fish on a tight budget. So, you know, exactly. I gotta save money where I can. I, I feel you, man. And like, that's another thing is I don't know if people listen to this can tear me up all they want. I don't really care if I say something wrong or something. They think that is stupid from, you know, their perspective, but, um, I, well, we got good listeners. <laughs> they're, they're pretty friendly. Yeah. But, um, you know, that's, that's something that, you know, an angle that I come, that I've come out of too. Like I have to be very economical in my approach to this. And a lot of people would say that could see, like maybe think differently because I have three kayaks now and I, you know, I'm on the Jackson fishing team and all this stuff. Like, but I literally don't have any other sponsors other than that. I pay, have to pay for like, you know, I have a little help with some stuff, but it's not, it's not anything that like it's free. And you know, you see guys going out with 12 rods at a time on their kayaks or, and they're going fishing. They have, you know, six to 12 or, you know, eight, 12 setups, stuff like that. I generally take out three rods. Like I, I have three rods and I probably own six combos. Like it, it, it's, and that's a lot for me. Cause I started off with only having two, you know, so being able to be economical and get the most out of your money for the equipment that you buy. Cause maybe you only have, two or three hundred dollars to put into your combos so that's rod reel and line two hundred dollars you got to figure it out and have a good time fishing so i think that's a great way to save money is if you can put that braid on your line and you're wanting to use those leaders you can use that braid for two seasons i don't see why you couldn't i did it i never really had an issue um, where I'm starting to have to change out my braid now is because I stopped using those leaders. And when I change lures and cut down, then I lose the length in my spool. And when my spool gets too low, that's when I got to reline. So it's definitely, that is one of the tricks to be able to, uh, extend the, the length, the life of the equipment that you buy. You know, you, you were saying, uh, you were saying, you know, two or $300 for like to put into your combos and stuff. It's it's funny because I I fish on such a budget. I just recently got a fifty dollar lose rod from mm-hmm. Walmart, <laughs> and uh, and I put a, uh, a a used reel that I paid twenty dollars on, and that's the most I have invested in any of my combos. Hey man, it, it gets the job <laughs> done though. It gets the job hey, done. But I, I do have you know more expensive retail combos. Yeah, but like everything I've got is like getting a good deal. Like uh, my topwater rod, mm-hmm. uh, a buddy of mine, he had a a Daiwa reel baitcaster yeah. that he he paid like a hundred bucks or something like that for. It. Didn't yeah. like it, used it only used it a couple times. Didn't like it, sold it to me for twenty five bucks. I've got it on a on a ducket rod that retails for like a hundred and fifty bucks, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I got that because, uh, you know, I make my own football head jigs and I made a bunch for my wife's uncle and he won this in a raffle at a, at a boat tournament one, one time he decided he didn't need it. And since I've gave him a bunch of jigs, he's like, here, you want this rod? Just gave it to me. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't, I'm trying to think, trying to say the right thing. So most of the rods that I'm using now, I actually won. I either won them in charity raffles or I won them as prizes through the River Bass Tournament Trail years ago when I was competing in those. I mean, I started off with uh, ugly sticks. I used ugly sticks. They're $50 rods. And I taught myself how to use a baitcaster with a... It was a it was an ugly ship uh, ugly stick combo. It was a Shakespeare baitcaster on an, a medium heavy ugly stick, and oh, I that taught... sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was it was awful, <laughs> and I taught myself how to throw a baitcaster with it, and I learned how to fish with it, and I put frogs on it, and I put you know uh, Texas rigs on it, and I changed it out, and I kept 
fishing different. I'd put spitter baits on it. I'd fish everything with immediate with the same rod. I just had to t- retie everything. And then, you know, I got lucky and won a rod. And then I, so I bought a better reel for it because I won a better rod. And then I won some more rods. And then I was like, I need to try some of these better reels. Because then like after a year, that Shakespeare reel like was breaking down. Like it's bad because it, it was cheap. It wasn't going to last more than as much as I was fishing. It wasn't going to last very long at that point. So then I got into some of the higher end gear, which extends the life a couple of extra years depending on how much you go out so it's just it was kind of a progressive thing and i was very very lucky and to be able to win some stuff to really get it going but if i hadn't had that success in some of those tournaments like i'd still only have three rods and most of it would be 20 to 50 dollar individual pieces and that's where i got that 200 number i wasn't talking about 200 dollars on your reel 200 dollars on your rod i was talking dollars total like you know like You get in the, the rod, the reel, the line, and after tax, you spent $200. You know what I mean? Like, it, it was, yeah. it's definitely rough. And that's, you know, then you got lures that you keep losing that you have to replace. So it, it definitely well, can be rough out there. Yeah, that's one good thing about a kayak is I, I haven't lost too many lures since I've been fishing in a kayak because you can usually get right <laughs> over there and get them yeah. out for the most Retrie- part. Retrieval rate is much higher in the kayak. I have to agree yeah. with that. Um, Which I guess that's also might, well, I I guess I was going to say it might depend on whether you got a pedal drive or not, but I guess you can pull that pedal drive up to get over where you need to go. I I haven't gotten in a pedal drive yet, but yeah, it's, it's changed the way I fish. It really has, Um, you know, because being a predominantly is really, I guess I do call myself a predominant river guy now. But I didn't start on rivers. I started on lakes. And I had a sit-in kayak. And I went to a local, you know, some local places here in Cleveland just to, like, learn it. And then, like, within, like, two or three weeks, I found a tournament in uh, Pima Tuning over with the kayak angler guys. And I went to it. And then that kind of, like, started. That's where it all started, like, opening up the world of what all this could be or could do. And then... I ran, I fell in love with the tournaments after that first one. And then I found the river bass and stuff. And I went down to Columbus to try one of those. And they were like, it's a river tournament. And I was like, ah, I was terrified. I was like, I've never been on a river before. I don't know how to fit. Are there fish in rivers? Like are there bass in rivers? Like I was pretty dumb about the whole situation and slowly, but surely um, I met my buddy Clayton and we got it and he got me into river fishing and then it kind of just like took off like and that's where i just left lakes behind and went really head first into this river thing searching for smallmouth and going down to south carolina and catching largemouth and uh big largemouth in their rivers and stuff like that and then it came back where i had the opportunity and i still fish lake tournaments and stuff i just wasn't efficient at them and I would do okay, finish middle of the pack, maybe higher, had a couple top tens, but nothing that was too impressive, I guess, in, in what I would say in a finish in a local tournament and stuff like that. But um, I was always exhausted. I was always way more tired after fishing a lake than I was a river um, because most of the time I was going downriver using the current and doing float trips and stuff like that. But then I got into a Jackson Kusa FD when it came out and like I was at first I was like I'm always going to paddle I really like paddling that's the whole point like I was kind of an anti-pedal for like I think on the inside I never come out and say that but I was kind of like in the inside I was like nah who needs that sort of thing and then I got in one and I started using it and fishing with it and figuring out that like it really is a supreme advantage for your body because using your legs to get around all day leaves your upper body fresh to make that extra five casts, to make those extra 25 casts, to be not exhausted when you get to your spot, to be focused right away, to start fishing and pitching and your casts aren't off because you're not tired. Like you're actually pinpoint casting where you want to be because you just didn't paddle a mile across the lake. You pedaled and your legs, now you're just sitting there or you stand up and you that body's now resting that part of your body's now resting and you're using your upper body to fish. So like it, the body efficiency between a pedal drive and a paddle kayak is just, 
insane. And that's where the advantage comes from in my mind is just the efficiency of how you use your human power to get around. And that's what really has, I, you know, I really credit that Kuzo FD to helping me learn how to fish lakes better because I can check out the spots, go fish, hit new ones and efficiently do it without getting exhausted. Yeah, I, I love the idea of a pedal drive. I'm wanting to, I'm hoping I'm going to be able to upgrade to a pedal drive in the spring, but man, I, I love the idea of it, like mainly being able to hold my spot while on a lake so I can mm-hmm. fish. I know a bunch of us here at Paddle and Fin met up at Dale Hollow uh, about a month ago, a little over a month ago. Yeah, I remember and, seeing that. Uh, Jay Randall went down there, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Jay yeah. was down there. And, uh, Man, I was just getting tossed around left and right, but but between the wind and the wake from the boats, man, I was getting tossed around everywhere. And uh, Jay and uh, Josh Eldridge, you know, they're in pedal drives, and you know, they're just sitting there holding their spot, and I'm I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I can knock them off their boat so I can see. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I. I forgot that you were a Jackson guy. I probably shouldn't have brought you on here. Now all these Jackson guys we got on Paddle and Finn are probably going to try to get you to do another segment on here. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like every time we have a, a Jackson guy on here, they want to they want to make them another host of a different segment. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it, it's all good. I'll I'll just uh, I think I'll be a guest. It's uh it's pretty <laughs> cool what you guys are doing. Though. I'll, I'll let those guys have their fun. I really love. I like Dustin. I met him. He's the newest host, right? Dustin Nichols at the Saltwater. Um, yeah, yeah. Saltwater segment. Yeah, he. Uh, I met him in Florida in September. He's a really, really good dude. He's very knowledgeable, and um, he let me follow him around in the Saltwater a bit. So he taught me a lot in those two days that we were able to fish together. And uh, he, he's got a lot of knowledge. So that's going to be a really exciting segment to, for your guys' listeners to pick up on. He's definitely a good dude. He knows a lot about those redfish. So... It's uh, that's definitely a good pickup there. Yeah, but we're we're really excited about that. I know a lot of us. I don't know if many of us at all have tried saltwater fishing, so uh, I th- I think there's a lot of knowledge to be gained out of that. But we, yeah, we got him and uh, we got Daniel Perry. He's coming on on the uh, Friday episodes of Reel Down, do the tournament mm-hmm. recaps. So uh, that's yeah. yeah. Bunch of changes going on here. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I can't say it enough. A shout out to him because when we were down, like I said, in Florida for um, fishing out of some of our new Jacksons that we got, I basically kind of defaulted to him. He kind of took me under his wing a little bit, and I just followed him around all day in the in the salt, just kind of kept my distance about you know 20, 30 feet and watched what he was doing and just kind of observed and. Um, cat tried to mimic it and casting similarly and you know he put me on my first uh lake trout or um not lake trout my first uh sea trout and like speckled trout and then i caught many more in those two days like i probably caught probably six or seven of them never really got into any reds but it you know it's how it goes sometimes but he definitely he definitely took me from being not knowledgeable to having some confidence going out there. So I think I'm excited to see what he comes up with, with the, with that segment for sure. Yeah. Cool. And, uh, I, I read your article about, you know, you talked a little bit about going down to Florida and, uh, and you catching your first, I, I don't even know how you put it. Is the, it Swanee bass? Yeah. The Swanee bass. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah, was, that was really cool too. Um, you know, we was, I, the whole point of the trip was to, um, try out our new kayaks that we ordered and they're the new lines of the year. So we had the, um, the Upix and the Kilroy HDs out there. So I was in a, I, I got a Upix and the new Dorado or not the new, but the Dorado collar, the green one. And, uh, I think Dustin was in the, the HD, the Kilroy HD. And, you know, it was a very unique attempt to be able, like a very unique time to be able to try to go after some fish in Florida. We were at some very, very cool spots that aren't 
super well known and to be able to go after largemouth in Florida is one thing. And, you know, we were fishing with, uh, you know, Jean Wilson. So there was, you know, there's big fish around wherever she's going. So <laughs> it was, um, it was really, really cool experience. It was awesome to meet her. She's a great person. The positivity is just overflowing and I can't say enough nice things about her, but, and the, just the ability to take us fishing down there. Like, so there was, I never felt like there wasn't a chance for me to catch a six, seven, eight, nine pound bass. Like it, like it, the water just was amazing. And, you know, it's not a bad secondary to be able to kit, scratch another species off your list. So I'm now up to four different bass species that I've caught out of the, you know, the, the black bass species that are in the, in the United States. So I have a couple more, on target now, but I was able to catch one of those. And it, you know, I kind of pointed out in the article a little bit, like you don't hear much about the Swanee bass cause they don't get big. The state record was like, I think it was under three pounds or something like that, or maybe under four pounds. I'd have to look it back up, but yeah, I think it was three point something pounds. Uh, yeah. From what I remember reading. Yeah. It, it's not big at all. Like they, they just don't grow that big. And but they got these beautiful red eyes and they're very aggressive little fish. And, you know, for as big as that was, if you saw the pictures or if you guys, you know, look up the article and uh, find the pictures, like that little thing hit a five inch swim bait. So, I mean, it's not like they, they're not aggressive and they're not fun to catch. So, you know, it, it was just a really, really cool thing. It's, it's hard to put in perspective being able to catch something so unique because you're just not in the area like we do you know people in florida probably take it for granted some and whereas like lake erie for me i take for granted all the time like i could be on lake erie in 15 minutes and i don't fish it because i drive around and fish rivers that are much much farther away than my house so you know like people would love to be able to get out for walleye and small at the same time you know whatever steelhead even but it's just i don't know something's wrong with me and i like to drive far away from home to go fish <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it was nice. it's a super super fun trip and definitely recommend going after some of those little guys just to see how cool they are with their patterns and their and their different eyes and they got the tongue patch similar to a spot wood and stuff like that so i had a lot of fun um testing out those new kayaks and uh going after those fish that i don't normally get a chance to chase i mean just going off the whole you know catching something you ain't used to thing you know i just a few months ago i caught my first rock bass and i thought that was the coolest thing like they like this thing looks those, so weird. <laughs> yeah, those things hit it, hard too, especially if you're fishing like a Ned rig, and they hit, and you think you have a smallmouth on. Sometimes you're like, "This isn't a good one," but I got it. I got potentially a measurable fish, like in uh, the sense of a tournament. Um, you know, I potentially got a, something that could add to my limit, and then you're like, "Oh, rock bass." You know, like <laughs> <laughs> you, you get like you get to that point. But the first time you catch them, they're, they're they're really really cool fish, and they're a lot of fun to catch. Like if you're just out fun fishing, like it's definitely better than getting a skunk. So those are definitely a cool little little fish. I, you know, the biggest disappointment fish that I think is underrated a lot in the area are um, drum, the white drum, like they call them sheephead in the mm -hmm. area. Um, like it you hate catching them on tournament day, but I honestly never mind catching one when I'm out fun fishing because they're just so strong and they put up such a big fight and they stink and they're slimy or whatever. But I think it reminds me of when I went to St. Clair for a KBF tournament and I had been struggling all day long. Wasn't able to really pick up fish. And I knew other people around me were picking up smallmouth. So I was in the right area. I just was doing something not correct. And I finally figured something out and I got two smallmouth in a row. And I was like, all right, I'm on to something. Like I can at least try to put a limit up and not look like a complete, you know, dummy out here. And <laughs> I like within five minutes, I picked up two smallmouth. So like I was like, I was on a roll. I was feeling it. And not even three minutes later, I start to do the same thing. And in like two seconds, crack, crack, wham, my rod bends almost all the way in half. I have to like twist my body around. I was like, oh my gosh, this is a lake 
this is a St. Clair like monster smallmouth. This has got to be got to be it. And I actually, I was like, but it's fighting kind of weird. And then I finally get it up, and it's like a twenty-four inch drum. It's like this massive sheep head, <laughs> and you just get so depressed. Just it just takes all the wind out of your sails because it was an awesome fish, and it was a great thing to catch. But like you're in the middle of a bass tournament, so you're like you're wasting my time and ruining my lures, and you know. But it was it, you know I'm getting my hopes it, up. And... Yeah, it was a, it was a love hate relationship in that moment because it was really cool to catch, but it was also like come on dude get out of my way like looking for you know the smallies out here so that was that was probably one of my more memorable ones that and the catfish in south carolina those were pretty big too but they were just those are crazy too i'm just gonna tell this story real quick um so we were fishing a river bassin tournament in uh around charlotte area and i was on the river and we decided to go below this dam and because they weren't releasing the water from upriver, but it had rained the whole day before. So like that section was high, but it wasn't flowing the flow. You're still able to paddle through the flow. Whereas upriver closer to the check-in, it was, the water was all muddy and it was super fast. So um, just this one dam we saw wasn't releasing. So we put a, we hedged our bets and went below it to be a little bit safer. And early in the morning, like sun's not even up yet. I paddle up to this um, little bit of current coming off the edge of the dam. I'm pitching a chatterbait up there and working it back. Huge hit. Crack. You know, try to bam. Then it slips off. Like you're fighting it for a second and it slips off. And you're like, oh man, it's on. Like it is on sort of feeling. Throw it back up there. Another smack. Pull it up. Finally get it up next to the boat. It's probably like a 18, 20 inch catfish. And you're like, oh, <laughs> come on. Like, really? Like, this has got to be serious. Like, I was so excited for, and like, once you find a pile of catfish like that, like, you just got to leave. So I, I kind of move on, and it's probably another 25 minutes later, and I pitch up into like, like this dam has like cutout sections, like a rectangles that go back and forth, kind of like a zipper pattern almost. Um, and I pitch up in there and I get another hit and I, this thing is just massive. I instantly knew it wasn't a bass. Like, but I was like, this is big. So I want to get it in sort of thing. And I land this catfish, Ryan. And unfortunately I don't have any pictures of it because there was some sort of snafu with my buddy who tried to take a picture of it. And then the picture wasn't there later. So this is really a fish tail, but I had fish grips in this catfish's mouth and I'm six, two. So I was standing up in my Coos HD at the time and I had the fish grips by my chin and its tail was down like halfway from my, like halfway down my thigh. Like this thing was over 30 inches long. Like it was a huge catfish. And so I, I later, you know, I go, I go away from there cause I'm trying to bass fish. But then a couple hours later I come back, like I go down river a little bit and I fish some others and I come back and I figured out what they were doing these catfish were literally swimming the edge of that concrete that was a zipper and they were going in it and they were going across and they were coming back out but their antenna their whisker was touching that concrete the whole time so they were using their whiskers to know where the edge of that dam was and they were cruising the surface area of that dam and then when they whenever they would come across a minnow or anything they'd just open their mouth eat it and then keep moving on so literally all I was doing was throwing my lure in front of these catfish that were basically circling these rocks all morning. And, but it was a really cool thing to see once the sun come up was just watching these big, big catfish swim around this dam and just eat everything in sight. So that was another really cool fish that I was able to catch during a tournament that didn't help me during the tournament. <laughs> but, uh, earlier in the summer, I actually went out with a couple buddies and, uh, we all, you know, talk trash to one another, you know, mm. playfully and all that. But uh, so we were trying to see who could catch the most bass. And we, we were actually at, uh, at, it was mine and another guy's first time at this place. It was uh, another guy that, that, like the third guy, you know, he's been there several times. And uh, so, uh, like, I was at one the guy that had been there 
uh, before he was at one and the other guy was at zero. So like, I'm trying to get that advantage on him and I'm, I'm throwing a whopper plopper and I cast out and I get a hit and I'm like, Oh yeah, I got my second fish. I reel it in. It's a bluegill. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Bluegill's getting aggressive there on those whopper ploppers. Huh? I, I, I'm telling you all three of us ended up catching a bluegill that day on bass lures. Two of us on a whopper plopper, and I think one caught one on a crankbait. Jeez. Uh, I, I don't know what causes them to be so aggressive out there. I don't know if they're just starving to death trying to eat whatever they can or what. But Yeah. No, the thing that made the least sense to me, that reminds me of a time that I was in Tennessee, and we were fishing for smallmouth, and right in the middle of a rapid, where they probably should be, but we were using whopper ploppers, and we were using... Uh, Ned rigs, I guess, make a little bit more sense. But, like, the whopper ploppers blew my mind. We were catching rainbow trout on whopper <laughs> plopper. And, like, in Ned rigs, like, fishing them super fast through current. Like, kind of trying to get the smallmouth to react or whatever. And each one of us, there was probably four, there was four of us on the river that day. And each, I think each, or three out of the four of us at least caught a rainbow trout going for smallmouth. Fishing with, like, super reactive <laughs> lures. So, it was... That was insane. It was a weird, weird day. For that. Yeah, that is crazy. Man, those water uh, plovers will catch just about anything. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a good lure, and that's something that I've always talked about with my friends up here. Is I I just so many people post online that they just can't get them to work or they can't catch fish on them, and I just don't understand how they haven't. I just don't understand I, how I they feel haven't. the same way. Uh, <laughs> Jason Ricketts here on Paddle and Finn, he, he's the same way. He's like, I've never had luck on a whopper plopper. I'm like, that's the only top water bait I've ever had luck on is the <laughs> whopper plopper. So I don't see it. Like, you just cast and retrieve, cast and retrieve yeah. it. it it's, uh, to me, it's more about, you know, uh, where you're casting at and, you know, getting accurate casts than it is yeah. anything. Yeah, I, I mean, if you're using, I will throw this piece of advice out there into the ether. If you're using a whopper plopper on moving water, at least in Ohio, it depends on what kind of river you're on. But in Ohio, a river is like a creek. So yeah, you have to throw that thing like you're going to lose it. You can't just throw it down. If you throw it down the middle of the the river, you'll you'll catch stuff every once in a while. But like you got to throw that thing in the little pockets up by the roots and up by like the little current breaks where there's fast water running past of it in a ditch or a turn or something like that. And that's where you're going to get your most strikes is because basically what's happening is, is like they're sitting in those pockets underneath that cover or in those roots or on those down trees or whatever. And if you put that bait right up against the bank or right up in that pocket and it lands, they look up at it and lands. These are fish that aren't used to seeing a lot of stuff when you're getting into float trips and like little creeks and stuff like that. So they, they, they notice it land and they're not afraid of it. And then when you start pulling it out and it starts doing that plop, you usually only get one or two plops out of it before it gets crushed because yeah. they either don't like it and they don't want it to be around or it's an easy target and it's free food for them. So like I throw that thing into the thickest stuff that most people would probably be so scared to throw a whopper plopper into. And, you know, I, I have lost them. I have, I've had to like cut them off and cut three feet of, you know, three to 15 feet of braid off before, because it was just too hard to get it back. But I've caught, you know, it's, it's really paid off doing that though. So you just really got to throw those in, in some, some bad areas. And it's funny. Cause my one buddy is always like, I can't do that i can't cast like you like i don't understand how you cast like that like apparently i cast a really weird way and i have like i can i'll literally one-handed with the bait caster like flip a lure like i'll just like swing it around and i'll flip it in a backwards angle or forwards like with one hand i don't have to use both hands to like you know fulcrum the back of the rod and i've somehow i guess unknowingly developed a way where I can flip lures around back and forth with one hand in like to little pockets, like at weird angles to adjust for not being able to adjust the boat very well in certain scenarios when there's, you know, moving water or, you know, stuff like that. That's not going to allow you to use your 
anchors or your river sticks or your power poles or what whatnot. So, but yes, back to the point of the tip is you got to throw those things. You can't be afraid of the cover and stuff. Like worry about getting the fish on and then landing it later. Like, cause if you don't ever get the fish on, you never have a chance to land it. So try some of those, those harder to reach areas on those streams. Well, see that now I might have to, you know, try to live even more dangerous with it because yeah, I've never lost a whopper plopper from the kayak. I've lost a couple of fishing from the bank where I obviously couldn't get out and get to them, but from kayak, which like I said earlier, I'm, I fish on an extreme budget. So if I yeah. can get that lure back, lure back, I've been in some sticky situations trying to get it, get I'll it try, unstuck. Oh, don't you worry about that. I mean, like I, I have too. like, it takes a lot for me to be, get to the point where I'm like, mm, that lure's gone. Like it's, <laughs> it's gotta be pretty life risking to, uh, for me to hop just to call the day on, on, on one of those whopper poppers. Cause you know, at, at 12, 12, 15, $16 a piece, they don't, they're not something yeah, they're I not like cheap. to, there's not something I like to let go very easily. So, I mean, we, I've totally been blown up spots, been like, I'm ruining this spot to get this lure back. <laughs> like I'm going in there. So yeah, it's, it's, I've put myself in some hairy situations before with that. Well, what, what's your favorite size to throw? Um, it's really hard to like, I don't like the nineties. I was going to say it. I don't like the nineties. I throw either the 75s or the one tens and I go back and forth on which size I'm throwing for that, depending on what waterway I'm on. Like if I'm on something like the Susquehanna, uh, I'll throw a one ten or bigger. Um, but if I'm something like back in Ohio, like some of the creeks and rivers, I like to fish in like the Columbus area or whatever. Like I'll, I'll drop down to the 75 because I, it, um, it's a smaller profile, so it'll fit into those tighter corners that I'm talking about a big, a bit easier without um, getting tangled up as much because it's smaller. And then that way that belly drops on the 75 really presents a better hookup for smallmouth because they're going to, the smallmouth always are going to eat head first. Um, most fish have adapted to eat head first so that that front hook is the one that's more important. And the way that belly sits down, it puts the hook in a better hookup ratio in my opinion than uh, the 90 where it sits up flat and pushes farther back in the, the profile of the bait. Um, okay. Yeah. See, I've, I started out throwing the 90 and you know, I had some success with it, but I'm, I'm kind of like you, I'm not too big on the 90. I, I really like the 110, mm -hmm. and, uh, I, I want to like the 75, like, in my head, they should be awesome. I haven't really had any luck on the 75. I've gotten like a couple hits, but they no hookups on it. But I, I, to be fair, I haven't thrown it a whole lot. I've, yeah. You know, tried it here and there. I only have one of them, and it's in a bluegill pattern. And by the time I got it, we were kind of later in the summer where bluegill probably, you know, bluegill pa pattern probably ain't ideal. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll tell you, I throw two. I'll, I'll tell you, I throw two patterns with the whopper floppers. I throw loon and perch. Those are literally if <laughs> if I don't have a perch, I'll throw like a sexy shad, like the one with the bright green stripe. Like those are the three colors that I throw. I don't get into anything else. I don't throw monkey butt. I don't get like the red crawl. Like I literally go white or black is basically what I do for top water presentation with the whopper floppers. I I don't. I, if the shadow's throwing it off, I think it's only personally, I think it's like a 25, 30% chance that the color scheme is making them not attack it. It's the water disturbance in the way that those kick the noise that it's making and then the water it's disturbing is what is what it's attracting them. And then that last 30% when they're coming towards it is going to decide whether they whiff it or absolutely smash it. And that's, and that's the difference is whether it's white or black. And that has a lot to do with whether it's sunny or cloudy out in my opinion, at least for smallmouth on the, on the rivers and stuff. Yeah. I'd say what I've had the most success on is a powder, which is pretty yeah. similar to sexy shads. It's like, powder white bone. With like blue yeah. eyes. Yeah. yeah. Powder and bone or, you know, powder bone perch. Like those are all kind of sexy shad. Those are all kind of like the same color to me. If it's white, 
on the belly, then it's white. That's what they see. You yeah. know, like, so, um, I know sometimes they do roll a little bit, so you might be able to see some of the side pattern, but, um, yeah, that's for the most part, in my opinion, it's, it's really just white and black for the top water stuff for white, uh, ploppers anyway. All right, cool. Well, hey man, uh, I think I'm going to start wrapping it up and unless there, is there anything else you want to touch on before we start um, wrapping it up? Nothing specifically, unless you have any other questions for me in any special direction you want to go. Oh man, uh, I, f- I feel like like it's been a pretty good, uh, pretty good talk. It's good info in there. And, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. Think think of some more questions. You know, maybe we can come back on sometimes. Yeah, for sure. No problem <laughs> at all. Just uh, shoot me a message. Um, I will just say, you know, obviously you guys got the whole uh, paddle and fin thing going on. It's awesome. You got all the different segments to listen to that. If you want to get some more, you know, higher tier, I guess, knowledge, definitely check us out over at the Hooked on Wild Waters podcast. Drew Drew is an amazing fisherman. He just has that instinct. And, you know, there's a lot of secrets hidden in those stories and that stuff that we joke around about and that we talk about. And there's a lot of good information in it if you just listen to us. So I, cause I've no, there's stuff that I've noticed myself, like, and this is a true, you know, statement is like, I'll talk to drew and he'll tell those stories. And literally four days later, when I go fishing, that exact scenario plays out. Like what we just talked about was something that exactly happened. And it didn't click in my brain until I remember that he just said it three days ago. And I'm like, why didn't I ever think of this before sort of thing? So, I mean, it, I follow, you know, being him being like the running the river bass and thing. Like that was one of the things that I followed, like learning how to river fish was a lot of stuff that he did. So the information that we're putting out there is, is really, really good stuff. So if you need to get past me and my, uh, my skill set at this point and you need a little bit more higher tier stuff, definitely listen to that podcast. Yeah. I, I actually really like that podcast. Like I think you two do a really good job on that. I appreciate it. Y'all just need to come out with more episodes. I do. I, you know, (laughs) trying, I'm trying, you know, it's, it's really tough, you know, with his schedule and mine trying to line stuff up, but we're trying to get it um, all sorted out. And, you know, we're really trying to get to two, an episode every two weeks. Um, We're running behind a week right now. So I'm going to text him tomorrow and see if we can get the next one scheduled up. So that's a little inside information for you, which is probably pointless by the time we get this podcast out. But um, yeah, we're, <laughs> I think we're really going to try to tighten some stuff down and we got some stuff in the works for over the winter time and some future stuff we want to work on. So if it all pans out, it'll, it'll be some really cool stuff that we have planned for you guys in the future for our end of stuff. But well, sweet man, look forward to it. Um, do you want to uh, shout out like some sponsors and, you know, social media where people follow you and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, my big thanks is to Jackson kayak. I wouldn't be able to do a t- any of the stuff without ever, uh, running into their company and then now having their support, putting me in a high quality kayak. So, um, huge thanks to them, you know, Aaron Steiger and Eric Jackson himself and drew and Jameson and all those guys that, you know, over the past, however many years have made it is what it is today. You know, it's, it's, it's a really cool part to be a part of. Um, you know, if you're in the area, if you're listening and you're in the Northeast Ohio area, or you're in Pennsylvania or Southern Indiana or our areas like that, check out kayak anglers. Um, you know, it's not, it's a, it's a human powered, uh, grassroots trail charity event. All, every event goes to a charity of some degree. So it's definitely given back to the community and it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's, I did a lot of my learning and, uh, stuff like that in that fishing trail. So if you're interested in the tournament stuff, hit me up. I'll answer any of your questions. If you want to be a part of it or check them out, let me know about that. And then other than that, you know, thanks to, you know, uh, everybody who's supported me along the way. Um, I don't have a lot of sponsors. I, you know, basically Jackson's the only thing I'm affiliated with at the moment, other than hooked on wild waters with drew. And that's, you know, just helping him with the podcast. So like, you know, as true talk earlier, I was saying to you, like the, the economical fishing sort of approach is, is where I'm still at at this point. So, um, 
that's pretty much it. If you want to follow me on Instagram, it's at lip ripper underscore RVT. And then you can just find me at Ken Morris on Facebook. And that's pretty much the two predominant areas that I do anything on. So social media wise. Yeah. And, uh, and you shared that article that, uh, that we were talking about earlier on your Facebook page. I did. So, yeah. You yeah. know, if people were interested in checking that out, you know, they can find you on Facebook and I can appreciate you coming on again and everything. And, uh, everybody tight lines and smooth paddling. Go check out the website, guys. Paddle the letter N and fin.com. Also check out YouTube, youtube.com forward slash paddle and fin. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest, feel free to email us at paddle the letter N and fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We're doing giveaways, announcements, things like that at Facebook and Instagram at Paddle and Finn. Shout out to our show supporters, Rocktown Adventures, Loveland Canoe and Kayak, Hammered Lures, Fish Mob Lures, TRC Covers, Catch Products. Go to catchproducts.com. You can put the Paddle and Finn logo right on your catchboard. Don't forget to go over and pick up your Jig Masters jigs. Use promo code PNF20 and save 20% today. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. It helps grow the audience, helps others find our podcast. So please drop a five-star rating in on the podcast platform you're listening on. Don't forget about the Recycled Plastics program, you guys. Take your used plastic baits, put them in an envelope, mail them to the address in the show notes. Our man Eric Richards at Hammered Lures melts those down, makes new baits, and donates them to various chapters of Heroes on the Water.